Tobias Carlyle is the founder and principal of Acquire's Funds. For regulatory reasons, he will not discuss any of the Acquire's Funds on this podcast. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Acquire's Funds or affiliates. For more information, visit acquiresfunds.com. Hey, it's Tobias here. If you want to learn a little bit about my firm or see my portfolio, head on over to acquirersfunds.com. Oh, hang on, preparing to live stream the meeting. Here meeting we go. is this now is... streaming live on Yahoo. This is slow. Really? Well, did it tell you? Yeah, man. I've got yeah, it. it. Says you got we're, we're live. Right. Redirecting to YouTube. Here we go. Oh, interesting. Oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> Welcome to the best technical podcast in finance. So basically, I have no control over that. Over that. Okay. Uh, well, it is what it is. But folks, we are live. Uh, we're on we're, we're on Zoom instead of Skype. So this is all uh, we're, we're trying something new today. Uh, Keeping it fresh. <laughs> yeah. So I don't have any control over the comments, which I used to have. So I don't know how that all works, but... It's value after hours. It's uh, 10.30 on the West Coast, 1.30 p.m. on the East Coast. It's like Dude, sometime I, UTC, 5.30, something like that. I've forgotten. I only see myself. I don't see the three of us. You can, if you, you can. Because your shirt's so loud. <laughs> That's true. No, I think, it, I think it highlights who's speaking. I don't know that it's got our faces as we're listening. Yeah, so this is a new kind. It's going to be like as if we've got a producer or someone back there cutting from face to face. Ooh, we we big time, folks. <laughs> we got some. We got some good. We got some plenty of folks in the room, so that's cool. So we got a new format today. We got some uh, big bills. Got uh, yeah. we're, we're doing a, a we're doing something. I didn't actually know what we're doing, but no, man. What's happening, Bill? Look, I don't want to make it the bill show, but uh, I do. I do want to clear up some stuff if it's okay with you guys. And then I do think that we should probably touch on Charlie buying Alibaba. Damn, that was my topic. Yeah, well, we have to, right? <laughs> yeah, on a but, very special episode of Value After Hours. <laughs> no, well, look, I figured that. Uh, part of this is selfish. Most of it is real. I don't know how to break up the uh, the percentages here, right? But uh, bear with me and let's see if we can provide some good entertainment. If not, we'll go back to Jake says things should be cheaper. I say quality's fine. Toby says the jaws are great, bro. <laughs> That's right. We could do we could do the show. We'll do it next week, and I'll do it without the shirt. So anyway, um, you know. Part of I think that a fair criticism of me on this show over the past two weeks or three weeks is that some of my A game hasn't quite been coming to the show. And I I guess that, uh, you know, some of it is I was not prepared for the show to be this big. Um, you know, not not that it's like some super big show or whatever, but like I, I really I love you guys. I love the fans. The fans love this show. And I thought that we'd be doing five shows. And here we are. How many have we done? I think this is our 67th. I went and looked a couple days ago. AT. Yeah. Got the, got the tickets, man. So, you know, like for me, um, like I was nobody before Toby put me on the first podcast that we did. And like Jake and I were going to Fairfax and like no one knew shit about me. We all met at Berkshire. We chopped it up one night at a, at a, you know, happy hour. 
And, you know, I see some comments like now that he's got his own podcast, like he thinks he's big time or something. And it really pisses me off. And I haven't been uh, like I haven't had to handle trolls at all yet. Right. Like I'm not Toby big by any stretch. And I can't imagine how Toby deals with it. And I'd like to talk to him about it today. Mute, baby. The mute button is your friend. Yeah, no doubt. Um, and I guess I get why Rogan says like he doesn't even look at the comments and stuff, but like I, it's impossible for me to convey to the fans how much these two guys mean to me as people and for my profession. And I don't take jokes about that very well. And I have brought that to the show. And I guess that, you know, a fair criticism of me is maybe. I've been a little bit more confident or arrogant or whatever, whatever you think you don't like about me. I don't like it about me either. So I get it. Um, but some of what you all have witnessed is like a guy that had no confidence 18 months ago, turning into like a man. Uh, and I did some of it in front of people. And I guess that the one thing that I do want to say um, is I did a podcast with Jim O'Shaughnessy and I really, really appreciate Jim for doing that episode. I think it took a lot of courage for him to run but there were some things, it was a longer podcast than the one that ran. And it's caused some family issues within my family that like have really affected um, my mental state since it ran. And um, I, I just want to convey that like, when I talk about my dad and what he and I went through, um, the reason I am comfortable talking about it is it's a, it's like a very happy ending to the story. I mean, he, he and I worked to, and his mom like worked to rebuild him. Uh, and, and he is an incredible person. Uh, I love him more than anything. He's always been my hero and always will be. Uh, we just went through some shit together. And, you know, the other side of me is, um, you know, like I grew up, my mom had a lot of alcohol problems. Right. And like, uh, it's hard for me to do the shows that I'm doing because it requires being somewhat open. And with that comes sort of some family blowback that I'm, I'm kind of like struggling whether or not I want to continue doing this stuff. And like, there's the part of me that really does. And I love it. And then there's the part that's like afraid that it's going to cost me so much. And um, I guess to the extent that it has, uh, you know, if I haven't showed up for the show or I haven't showed up with ideas or whatever, I apologize to the fans and to Toby and Jake. And, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to uh, provide entertainment in the best way that I know how to. And also, man, some of the shit's therapeutic. I mean, you know, so um, I guess I really appreciate what you guys have done for me. And to the people that make the comments, even if it's a joke, like I, I just, you know, I'm going to ask you to stop. If you don't, I'm going to think you're an asshole um, because this stuff matters to me. And these guys really matter to me. And the idea that I would disrespect Toby in any way, shape or form is just like not cool with me. Um, so I guess, you know, part of my question is how the hell do you deal with being so big, Toby? <laughs> um, well, I do a lot of muting and I don't read a lot of the comments. Uh, I don't think that I'm that big any, either. So it's not, it's not that, that hard. Um, mate, I, I never took it as disrespect. I never thought uh, anything other than uh, you were, you were going through a little something. I, I like talking to you guys too. This is, this is good therapy for me too. Mostly I used to complain about how badly Valley's doing, but 
uh, Valley's done okay last quarter. So I, I don't have to complain about that anymore. <laughs> yeah. Well, like, I mean, I remember when Jake dropped his book and, you know, this dude like comes in like it's a fucking hedge fund book. Like, bro, he wrote a book for people to understand the ideas of investing. The notion that like it's not some advanced textbook hedge fund book. Like, no shit, man. Do, like, it's do you realize? What, I know. And it's really well. So part of the genius in it is how smart it is at communicating the concepts. It may not be valuation. It's got that by spoonful of sugar to get the uh, medicine to go down. I, I like the format. I thought it was. I thought it was a fun format, and Charlie Munger liked it too. And now it's going to be a movie, so I think I think that worked out okay. But you know, like I don't know how did. What is it like, Jake? You, I mean, you pour your soul into something like that, and then I mean, I know that like it doesn't really impact your life. But what do you do when like somebody comes at you in that way? Uh, yeah. I mean, the first first reading it. It like that type of comment was like, oh, I mean, it's just like cuts you deep. I mean, it's hard. Um, but after a little bit of time, you just sort of like, you know what? There's just going to be people who don't get it and don't like it. And that's that's OK. And if uh, if everyone liked it, then I think sometimes that would tell you that they didn't like they don't actually care that much. Um, and I think, you know, for you, you don't, you never have to apologize to me for that kind of thing. I think your, your brand and what makes you popular and likable and successful is that you're very authentic and you put yourself out there and you, you, you're not afraid to raise issues that are some people don't want to necessarily talk about and, uh, but probably needs to be talked about more like mental health things. Um, so, I mean, I think it's a beautiful service that you're doing by, by, taking the slings and arrows like that um and just don't let it get you down man i mean this there's way more good being done by the conversations that you're having than any negative things so i'm i'm cheering for you just reading the comments some folks are only just now learning that jt has a book so uh it's called the rebel allocator um pretty good at promotions apparently <laughs> it came, yeah it came out uh 18 months ago two years ago yeah 2019 2019 and uh, Charlie Munger read it and gave gave uh, JT a call. It's one of the best stories that I've ever heard. It's uh, so that that's the entire reason that JT's on the podcast, so I can walk the red carpet with him when when, <laughs> <Right>. when <laughs> Wall Street three um, money <laughs> whatever whatever they're gonna. I, I wish I had a money, good tag. Money takes that. a nap. <laughs> money takes a nap. <laughs> I tell you what, man, I like that book. I read that thing quick. And I didn't even know when I opened it, I was like, fuck, am I going to be like committed to tell Jake that I don't like, like, or that like, I like his book, but I don't really like it. And yeah. I have to pretend. <laughs> yeah. And I, I didn't have to pretend at all, man. I really like that. So hit the buy button. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I guess, you know, the thing, the thing that sucks uh, that like my dad and I went through after Jim's episode is uh, like our realities are just different. And, and I think that he thinks that, um, I've spoken negatively on the Brewster side of the family and that's not my intent. And his grandfather built like a massive um, construction company. It was huge. Uh, they built a lot of New Jersey. I don't cite the specific assets because I don't know them and I don't want to be wrong, but you know, like he watched that sort of go away. And by the time that I was born, a lot of it had been drinking away by, you know, his dad. And that like really sucks. Um, and like 
you know, I, I guess um, it's just hard. Like there's been a lot of real serious issues in my family and I've always been encouraged to give back. Right. And like one of the ways that I can actually give back is by having these discussions because the amount of people that have reached out to me, they're like, dude, I live with deep depression or huge resentment or alcoholism runs through my family. Like, you know, I, I don't know what else to do. And I, I can't have my brand and not talk about that stuff. And more than my brand, like, I don't want to do it. You know, like I like the part of life that comes into investing and trying to figure out where is your mind taking you and what, what are sort of your historical context for why you see the world the way you do. Like, I think that I, I don't see how you can decouple investing from that. hundred percent. I mean, you have to know yourself and that means knowing the good, the bad, the ugly, and facing it and not just trying to put it in a corner or pretend that it doesn't exist. You know, I mean, it's, it'll come back to get you. Right. Yeah. And I think, I, I think like one of the things that I love so much about Buffett and Munger, well, I mean, this is more Munger than Buffett. I'm sorry, Buff dog. I love you too. But like Munger's like, like if his focus on psychology has been like life changing for me. I mean, if you, if you listen to those guys and you implement what they say, like, I will tell you, they'll change your life. They changed mine. Yeah, so, I agree with that. You know, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to make the whole show about it. I, I just, it's been bothering me. I haven't been able to, like, think uh, the whole weekend. And I, I've been, like, nervous that I'm going to lose, like, everything that matters to me because I'm, like, you know, whatever. So I don't have any great ideas today. Uh, I did sell naked wines. I'm sorry to my naked wine friends. Uh, I just, I've had some issues with the platform and I think that retention is super important in that. And I think it's not the cheapest thing if some of this churn happens. So um, I've got an idea that I'm working on that I think is probably a better use of capital for me. So is it Alibaba? No, oh. but I got to give, uh, I'll tell you what people here Thursday, what I think is a pretty decent idea. Uh, they're going to have to figure out if they, if they like the idea also, but um, I'm looking forward to, to both the reception of the podcast that drops on Thursday on the bull and bear side. And I'll tell you another thing that's tough, man, is like you get some figures that like, I mean, look, people don't like Kyle in my view because his stocks haven't worked. I think Kyle's fucking legit. Now, Carl, that, Carl, who, who are we this guy's Sermonara. You'll hear him on Thursday. Okay, like, okay. This guy's ex sack worked for a Tiger Cub, was part of shorting the, uh, the housing crisis, testified to the Senate, like, <laughs> and he's doing things in financials. So I don't know. You do your own work. But I mean, you know, now, now is he the guy that you want to bet on to run a controlled entity? Maybe not. Right. That's that's where you got to figure out, like, is he is Stephen A. Cohen the guy who's the guy that's making the bet bet is Kyle the guy that's making the bet? How much do you want to weight that stuff? How much is a hedge fund running a company? All very different skill sets. But um, I've gotten to know him and I'm uh, I'm throwing a little bit of my reputation behind him. And a lot of it's because of Mike Mitchell and um, a lot of it's because of who I know Kyle is after talking to him. So, uh, you know, we'll see if people like what they hear. And if they don't, good, because you're not supposed to be following me into investments. It's a SPAC run. 
It's a lot of stuff, man. And I think that's part of the issue that um, they're going to have to clean up and there's intercompany holdings and there's a lot of reasons not to like them. And there's, I'm sorry, Kyle, for saying this, but I got to be honest with people. Uh, there's this guy, Larry Sweats, that's involved. And I've gotten people that have pinged me that have been like, you know, when he was the CEO of Kingsway, that stock didn't work very well. And people think there's some self-dealing there. And there's, I mean, there's some stuff that you got to, figure out you got to research it but for me uh you know this game is about judgment and uh i think some of those entities are are too cheap and i think i may have an edge yeah well should we talk about alibaba a little bit for sure does anybody know anything about alibaba no it's chinese never heard of it (laughs) i mean jt do you know something about it so let's let's what's happened Charlie Munger has, there's a filing from DJ Co, uh, Daily Journal. Charlie Munger never buys anything ever. Uh, all of a sudden, there's a big holding in Alibaba. Presumably, it's come through uh, his relationship with Li Lu because Li Lu has owned it in the past. But Li Lu sold it pretty quickly too. He punched out to go and buy Google and Micron. Sort of escapes me. Was it Micron? Mike. Do, do, you, do you have any, do you, do you know the stock at all? I haven't done enough work at all. And I, I got some issues with some of the Chinese ADR stuff that I haven't fully been able to get over. And maybe that's because I was born in America and I'm fine to admit like some home country bias there. Um, I don't know, Jake, do you want to take this or do you want me to go and then follow on? Oh, you can follow on the grenade. Okay. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you for that. <laughs> um, You're welcome. <laughs> Look, I I have some problems with the way that Charlie talks about um, some like China and my perception of authoritarian regimes. Right. But I think that Charlie also has been very open about the fact that he thinks that China has a very bright future. And, you know, I, I saw one person on the Twitter machine didn't love that. Charlie had gone into tech because he felt like he was getting outside of his circle of competence. Um, One, he's Charlie Munger. So I'm going to defer to him. And two, like that dude's talking to Lee Lu all the time. And if you think Lee Lu is a good investor, maybe Charlie doesn't have like the best pulse on where that company is going forever. Charlie's also like what? 92. Seven. Okay. Seven. Okay. My bad. My bad, Charlie. I didn't mean to disrespect your age. So what's, what's his lifetime frame? doesn't look a day over 92 though. So like this guy's making a purchase that's almost certainly going to go longer than his life. So I don't know how you can have like an informed opinion on why he did this, unless you know about the succession planning at, at DJCO who's going to be advising them, how he's told them to run that position, what he's told them to look at. And my two cents is if he thinks that Lee Lu, if it's just simply like, I'm going to clone Lee Lu on this idea because I think this guy's that smart and I think this asset base in that country is that good and it's trading at a pretty reasonable multiple. Like what, I'm going to go with Charlie for that? That's fucking awesome. That's what I've kind of gotten at these guys forever about not morphing and now he morphs. So... You know, if he pissed some people off because they think he got outside of his competence or people don't understand it, like Charlie's never done anything to make anybody else understand what he's doing. And I have mad respect for it. JT, do you have a, do you have a view itself? Uh, no, I mean, 
<clears throat> so a few things there, probably more general to China. Um, the me of 10 years ago would say that this can't work because they don't allow the little fault lines to clear through such so much authoritarian uh, overriding so much, you know, government involvement with what gets funded, uh, where the money goes from a capital allocation societal standpoint, like there, there has to be a misallocation of capital that's happening that eventually will be have to shake out, right? Like you have to write down all this debt because it's you, if you build a bunch of cities that no one's living in, like eventually something, and you did it with debt, like eventually something has to give there, right? Like debt only goes away when you grow into it or cash flow it enough to pay it off. And if you don't have the cash flow because no one's living there, then you, you have a problem. Well, Dude, those zombie cities are that crazy. Don't they owe that debt to themselves? Like, isn't that what Krugman always says about the, the, MMT, the US debt? Spend it and owe it to yourself. It doesn't matter. Well, and that, so that's where 10 years ago, I would have said, like, that's crazy. And uh, of course, it matters eventually. Maybe it's just not the right. The timeline hasn't happened yet. Uh, today, I'm not so sure anymore. I'm, I'm much less ideological when it comes to that. Even the authoritarian part. Um, I mean, I have oh, my boy, biases Jake, towards to capitalism. Some people. I know, right? All my- <laughs> so can I, I ask you take- a follow-up? Wait, let me ask you a follow-up about how you're thinking about that. So if you're thinking through like all of the spending coming from the government down, would you maybe think that the earnings base, like the velocity of money that's going through Alibaba is artificially propped up? And if that spending declines, then like you're actually underwriting your perception of like what normalized earnings are is artificially boosted. Is that kind of what you're thinking? Sure. I mean, if everything is, uh, if you're growing GDP at 6% and Alibaba's kind of levered at that plus something, and that GDP number is a misallocation for half of it, well then eventually it has to be liquidated and that, that half has to be written down in Alibaba as well. So it's not, not a real tangible as much tangible not in a intangible like you know physical but a, a true earnings power but yeah I, it's i think it's a little bit more complicated than that now and i'm I, my thinking's maybe a little bit more nuanced to the point where i i have much less certainty about it what about the fact that they've got rid of jack ma or jack ma's step back does that make anybody I mean, it's I, like he, Bezos stepping back from Amazon and just saying, I'm not going to be involved anymore. So, yeah. 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 I, I don't know. I guess that's the thing that's like really tough. Uh, like one, it's just outside of my circle of competence. But I guess that that's why if you're Charlie and you're talking to Lee Lu, it may get inside your circle of competence to understand what the culture is like. I don't have a I don't really dispute close that. friend. So that's I just what want I'm to saying. get it into my own head, too. Yeah. I mean, honestly, somebody asked me what I thought. I said, you want my thought? I think you got to figure out whether or not you want to piggyback Charlie and the Chinese tech company. That's probably where you got to get to. <laughs> like that's... I mean, and- still, BYD. BYD was dead money for a long time because people piled into BYD and it took off. But BYD, I haven't looked at it for a while, but it does sort of seem to have been working better recently. So uh, it grew into its valuation and now it's run like an AV. That's yeah. an understatement. I mean, I think it was up 600% last year. 
Okay, and that's a good year. I think it's off thirty percent from be, there. Toby. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we need twenty bag or we'll, we'll get the fuck out. And we're all yeah. searching for hundred baggers now. In a year. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> or less. I mean, I don't yeah. I just I have dude, he's ninety seven. This dude is still learning. Like, how is that not inspirational? Even if it doesn't work, like what a signal to send to the people that he has taught so much to. Like, he's a fucking man. It's bad news if it doesn't work though. Yeah. I mean, what's it matter to him? It's in Daily Journal. It's he's got so much wealth outside of Daily Journal. Like, I mean, you know, he cares about his shareholders. I don't think he's taking this decision lightly. I mean, these guys are serious about what they do. So I do think that there is some signal in it. Like, I don't think Charlie ever does anything without thinking. But like, Bob what's is the cheap. Real risk here? I think Alibaba is cheap. Like, Alibaba is cheap. That's not that's not the issue, right? It's it looks like it's undervalued. On I, I pulled it up before we came on, just really quickly had a quick look at it. it looks optically at first pass it looks cheap it's worth digging into the, the concerns that i have jack ma myers who drove it to this point and you have a look at it, like earnings are pretty volatile for something like that's a compound a secular growth story and then jack ma's step back he might be the the genius that's got it to this point and then there's also the accounting i have looked at it a long time ago now but i looked at the accounting maybe five years ago and i just quarter to quarter i mean period to period i couldn't figure it out they, they just have so many subs like this. The, their business looks like it's forming subs. They must have like a room full of lawyers just pumping out sub, subsidiaries all day long. And that makes me nervous. So why do you need all the subs? You may not, but maybe like Munger, Tolls and what, Olsen or whatever, like maybe they figured out why you need all the subs. Like I, I just, I, I know a that. legal question. Look, I don't know. Right. I really don't. And that's what I'm saying. Like, I'm not talking to Lee Lu and I don't have Charlie's army behind me. I don't think Charlie just bought that thing because it's cheap and maybe I'm wrong, but I suspect there was some due diligence in there. I'm going to guess it was kind of a optionality mindset. Like, I don't know exactly where this is going, but it's okay price to get a bunch of Chinese optionality. And I've been looking for something like that too. I've been, I want some China exposure somehow. Because I, you know, who know the the when we talk about the macro with China, there's two ways that this can go. Right, it, it's it's only very very early in its like road to industrialization, and if you ride that wave, then you get like a hundred years of American growth. When when America sort of took off from 1825 onwards, it was a spectacular run. Maybe China's like ten or twenty years into that run, you got eighty to go. The other thing that I think about though is they have that big demographic cliff coming up where that one-child policy has created um, the, uh, an unusual shape in their demographic. So you can see the baby boomers move through the demographic lake in the Western world. And uh, the China, China's got a different problem where the base is quite small because um, that generation just, there aren't, enough, there aren't enough girls in that generation. So there's just not enough population coming through underneath that. And when they hit that demographic cliff, and I think it's like it's now over the next 15 years, I don't know what that does to the economy. It makes me a little I don't nervous. Know well, you, I mean, you do. It's not good. The question is, <laughs> do, does productivity per worker grow at a rate Go that up. kind of bails you out? And so that's a technology question. Yeah. Did you listen to the Adam Robinson episode that I did? With you? Yeah. 
what did you guys think about his population thesis? Because that's what people were saying. They were like, yeah, well, it ignores total factor productivity and just, I, just run, run it back, run it back live. So folks. Oh yeah. So about. his, the blog that he recommends reading is economica, economica and, um, economica. The, uh, economica. Ooh, economica. <laughs> Okay, whatever. I'm just trying to sound it out for people. I think they got it now. Um, but the guy's thesis that writes the blog is how almost all of the developed markets are coming to uh, population cliffs. and Or if not cliffs, you're fighting uh, headwind in demographics. So I think if you consider like total potential money supply growth, I think a reasonable, and I may mess this up because I'm on the fly, but you know, Total number of people's people times total personal debt plus total number of corporations times total corporate debt plus governments times government debt, right? And if you look at all of those things, corporate debt has gone up a lot. Population growth is now behind us. Uh, Generally, personal debt, I think, is probably higher than it was in the past, though it's probably lower than its peak. Government debt is higher. So when you start to think about like, going forward, what is all this like, you know, can you grow your way through this or are you sort of fighting uh, a headwind? And and Adam, his position is the world as it's constructed is not, uh, you can't, it doesn't work. I'm not sure that I got, I'm not sure how to think about it. I saw there's a comment just in the comments that I, I haven't figured out how to throw them up on the screen. Sorry, guys, I'll, I'll figure that out at some stage but uh, unless it's a super chat we'll find that out right now yeah. <laughs> yeah. uh the comment was it's a 600 billion dollar company why are you looking at that my kind of view on that stuff is i'm largely agnostic to market capitalization i just don't if it's a 60 billion dollar company or a 600 billion dollar company you just have no idea how big anything is going to be in the future and these businesses when they particularly these internet scale businesses when they get uh, set, it's not so much the rate of growth, it's the amount of money that they earn for what they've got invested in that business. And they're gonna, they could throw off enormous amounts of cash. Like if that 600 billion trades cheaply enough and they institute some sort of buyback, I mean, you're going to make a lot of money. You, 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 you want access to that incredibly profitable machine. This is how you do it. And I feel the same way about Google. Like Google's a gigantic company, but that's a, it's a very, very good company at, at, at that kind of scale you're not going to lose money in it. You're probably going to make money over the long term. So I, I wouldn't worry about too much about, you know, where the market cap is right now. I may trigger some people with this, with this statement, but uh, bear with me and go back 10 years when per share actually mattered, right? Like free cash flow per, per share. share. Yeah. yeah. Like per share was a thing once upon a time. And Charlie, Charlie like used to live in that time. Uh, so maybe he thinks it'll matter again. And, you know, maybe he thinks it can probably be a $3 trillion company on a per share basis. You're going to get even more growth out of that. Like, I don't know why he's doing it, but I do think if you're making a market cap argument, John Huber is one of the better writers on this subject. And Greenblatt says it too. Like, you don't need to be small to find great investments. I do think Ian Castle has a reasonable point to be said that, like, if you're really looking for the really long tail, and Connor Haley did great work on this stuff. You should go to Alta Fox to to check out his presentation. But the That's big one where he shows all the ones that have run for a long yeah. way. Yeah, they, they just reverse engineered it or, or like did a sort of factor analysis. Not not factor like in the financial sense. Just they just looked at what 
Yeah, they looked but at like now, every company with that was a major winner, and they did a they put together a deck. It's yeah, it's a good presentation. Deck. I yeah. shared it when it came out I, I, a long time ago. We'll f- dig it up again. That was when value mattered. No, nobody's paying attention to that. Value might be back, baby. Maybe. I hope. I, I'm trying not to say it too much, just in case I kill it for Q2. But Q1 was yeah. Q1 was better than ordinary. <laughs> the. Uh, the cyclicals are out of value now, right? Like when you talk about like the airlines and the cruise lines and all that stuff. That yeah, I mean, they might be value. on the other. They might be on the other side of the book. I'd hope so, because right now those look a little stretched. There was this period of time where that that value portfolio got incredibly high quality. Uh, I sort of think that I just looked at it more recently. I think it's kind of it's drifted back a little bit more. Like it looks to me more like there's a few gold miners and some um, forestry Energy, financials. Yeah, it might be might be just coming back a little bit, which is you know it's run a little bit for a quarter, so that yeah, that's not unexpected. I mean, people, that's that's you know, I mean, one of this guy Kyle Sermonara's entities is Itasca or Green First Building Products or whatever. I don't, I'm sorry if I said it wrong, but um, it's it's like right now it's a lumber mill, and that's that's like something that's so hard for me to even understand, like how to underwrite because you know lumber prices are just exploding right so how do you get into like whenever i see a, a commodity company show up on a value screen i just want to run as far away as possible from it i'd rather see it show up on like the really really rich screen at yeah, least on a cash flow basis yeah you know there's a, there's a pretty strong argument for some of the gold miners though like they are they're throwing off cash uh gold price is pretty beaten up and they're still working here and you know, do you want to get a little bit of if inflation really takes hold, they're going to go well. Has gold sold off? Yeah, it's come off a bit. It's it's that's one of the stories that it's not it's kind of more macro than it is us, but it's gold seems to be getting pretty beaten up while Bitcoin is running, and so has gold handed the baton over to Bitcoin. That's bad. I don't know how you say it. I don't French guys, it up too much. You guys told me, uh, but I interviewed Preston Pish. That guy oh, yeah. is a nice guy. <laughs> Yeah, he's a good dude. He really is like a great guy. I oh man, I hope people. I can't wait for people to hear that one. They're gonna get so triggered. It's gonna be great. Well, you <laughs> thought I, you got I, hate mail before. <laughs> hey, I'll tell you what. You can think that he's wrong, but that dude has done work. Um, but you can't say that he hasn't done the work. You can say that he has a flawed conclusion, but he's done as much in that thesis as anybody. Yeah, it's had a good run. Wow. Good. It's had a good run over the last 12 months. Yeah, but he's, I mean, dude, he's been in it for a long time. Oh, yeah, no, time. I'm saying, but uh, but he was, like, when it was when it was beaten up, he did he did keep on pushing pretty hard through that whole period. So hats off to Preston. Good work, mate. Do we have time for some veggies? Yeah, let's do some yeah, veggies. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, I've got a little bit of a shorter piece today that, um, that I'm calling insect decision-making. Uh, sorry, not a sperm whale related, but uh, we're in the ballpark. Uh, <laughs> oh, half so the this, people just left. Uh, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> Everybody comes from the sperm whales. Yeah. So this is from a uh, actually a 2014 Wall Street Journal article by Robert Sapolsky, who is um, a researcher and a professor at at was it Stanford, and uh, he's one of my favorites. Honestly, like I've been watching, working through. There's he has a a genetics, behavior, sexual reproduction, uh, like course that he taught at Stanford that's online on YouTube. I think I've talked about it on the show before, but I love it. Like I'm about 
three quarters of the way through it. And it's, a, I mean, each class is like two hours long. So you're watching a whole, whole class and he's such a good lecturer. He's so funny. Um, if you're, I guess, nerdy like me and like jokes about like DNA and stuff. But, uh, so anyway, he wrote this article, uh, and it's actually from uh, one of our friends of the show, but cool. Uh, so thank you, but cool for sending that over. So bees, as you guys know, do this dance to sort of signal where resources are. And so, you know, they'll communicate the direction and the distance based on how they dance. And what ends up happening is that if they really like it, they will dance for even longer than normal. And that will then, the odds of when a bee comes into the hive, they will see that bee, you know, increase, which then they'll go check it out and come back. So now you have two bees and then two bees more will go. And now you have four and then eight. And before they're you doing know happy it, like, dance. they're doing the happy dance and they're exploiting uh, the environment through that way and able to communicate. Right. And, and it's, this is like wisdom of the crowds playing out, right? Because the signal gets amplified. Um, so they did this, uh, like no bee actually like investigates both sites. And yet somehow the hive is able to arrive at what is the best one to exploit. Um, so th they did this other study of ants and they, they took, uh, they gave them two nests and they had a group of ants go and look at the two nests and they, the, the ants had to choose which one they were going to take as a nest. And the difference was that one of them was like well lit and the other one wasn't. And the, the ants prefer a dark interior for their nest. Um, so they, they had both groups of ants go and they would decide which nest to take. And then they had individual ants who would go and decide where to set up shop. So what's interesting is that, uh, when the choice was difficult, the comparison, like a very, very minute difference between the darkness of nests, the group of ants actually came up with a better answer. And this is probably due to, uh, like I said, that amplification of, of uh, you know, choosing the best one, the, the, the iterative decision-making that happens as the group sort of decides, as well as the canceling out of errors. Like somebody makes an error in one direction, another one makes it on the bottom, you know, and, and they cancel each other out. Well, this is the most critical part of the whole piece is that when it was an easy task, when there was high difference between the, the lights inside of the nest, the individual ants actually make better choices than the group. Sometimes the group would take the feedback would get out of control and push it into a direction that wasn't the right way to go. And the individual rarely made that mistake because it was so obvious. So, you know, think about that for a second from a, from an investment context and like how much time do you spend you know, in groups sort of working through your investments and coming up with ideas versus by yourself. I can't help but think about this guy in Omaha that is looking for the one foot bar, the very large discrepancy in the lighting. And he's not asking the group for opinions about it. He's looking for the most simple explanation and he's very comfortable to do it by himself. Um, you think he is? But I'm not sure he's that. I, I, look, I think he's comfortable coming to a conclusion without other people agreeing with him. I do not agree that Buffett does. I, I don't think Buffett's a guy on an island at all. I, th I think that is a misunderstood myth of who he is. Yeah, I don't yeah, think he's yeah. on an island. You just think he's getting he's getting um, 
idea like he's he's open to idea flow he's getting idea flow all the time from lots of different people who are throwing him ideas so is, is that what you're saying yeah not just that like i think he's probably saying hey uh you know this is what i'm thinking who do who do i know that may know more than me and can help me get to a more right conclusion. And who do I know that can help me understand the players of this bet? I mean, maybe this just cause this is what I've become, but I mean, since we started, <laughs> but I'm, I'm just saying like, since we started on this podcast and uh, since my network has really expanded, like I've seen the power in saying like, I'm not the one that has to figure all this out and can somebody help me? And then you get like real actual experts that come in the idea that Buffett's not out there, like interviewing experts and trying to find out who's behind like this Kyle idea. Part of it is because I've, I've been trying to figure out the players. So if somebody wants to say to me, like you're wrong on the players, I've done my work to bet on the players. You can have a different view and that's okay. Right. But like, that's where I think that Buffett, I think Buffett was like, maniacal about that stuff and i don't think people talk about that enough but i might be wrong no i agree i think that's a big part of a big part of it um but i i i, I can see how it's worked for you like I, and I, I think it'll i think it definitely he'd be mad not to be doing it right but um i think that ultimately you have to make the decision yourself you have to get comfortable oh, with yeah. the decision yourself no, a hundred percent. I I do not think that Buffett made a decision and asked anybody for approval at all, ever. I mean, we got a pretty good example here with with Munger and Barber. I mean, that's that's a very strong signal. And when you look at it and it's optically cheap, like that, those are two pretty strong signals together. I'd be inclined to dig into Ali Barber and see if I can understand it. Yeah, and I guess I might be misunderstanding what Jake said, but I, I guess I just I'm not for a long time. I had read about Buffett and I thought he was the guy with the 10 K's and I think he curated much more of an idea machine and much more of a network than. But it doesn't take away from what JT is saying. He's saying um, rather than looking for two, uh, two hot ant hives, what do they call them? What's, what's an ant colony? Uh, just look for the easy one and jump over that. Don't try and like eyeball to work out which one's darker. Just look for the, if there's one that's brightly lit and there's one that's dark, there you go. Now there's your one foot hurdle. How many one foot hurdles do you see? Not like many, anymore? but that, but you get them. You do get them occasionally. Yeah, so that's I true. think that March this is what twenty. There was a few. Yeah, yeah. I I kind of think that um, I've been talking about this a little bit in the context of what I'm trying to do, but I do think that you, if you are attuned to it and you know what you're looking for and you're you're prepared to be extremely patient and like this is probably you're gonna you just got to resign yourself to the fact that you're gonna get one or two a year. And then you just make your, your, you know, you have to get your taste to the point that you really can recognize the one or two when they come through. I mean, I think that's, that's a perfect entirely... segue for the next part of the story. Oh, that good. We have. Here we go. So, so wait, can I, JT, before you move on, can I just ask you something? So when you buy something at like a one foot hurdle price and then it re-rates on you to a price that like you wouldn't buy it at, then, then how do you approach that? Well, that's when the game gets hard. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> that's Never like so that's why even yeah, even Charlie yeah. And, and Warren say we're better buyers. Let me sellers, let me just right? say that uh, I'm still figuring that out. Okay, Never as my sell. hero said at 97. Yeah, that wasn't that a great line. <laughs> yeah. All right, so to tie tie back in with what you were just saying, Toby, uh, they did another bee study and they took two vials and they they each of them had water in them and one had, they added sugar and the other, they added quinine, which is like the, uh, it doesn't taste very good. Right. Um, so and they had the getting bees, malaria. 
Yeah, exactly. Keep the bees uh, from getting malaria. Um, and, and they attach to the vials little symbols that the bees could actually read and interpret. And so they would put uh, a circle on one and a triangle on the other. And the bees actually could discern like, oh, I figured out that the circle is the sugar water one. And that's the one I go to. And they were pretty good about picking that. Like they wouldn't go to the quinine that one. Well, then Teaching they read. To read. This seems like a bad idea. Bees could. Yeah. <laughs> as long as they're not the Africanized ones. Um, so this is where it gets interesting. They they changed the symbols and they put uh, like a circle on one and more like an oval on the other. So it's much harder to discern which is which. The bees end up then actually not choosing either one. So the bees like sort of know like risk management in a way. Hmm. Like they understand like this is too close together. I know, I know, they know when to hold them and know when to fold them. And uh, it's pretty amazing because these, these little animals that we're talking about right now, these insects, like we have a hundred thousand neurons for every one neuron that they have in their brains. And yet they're, they're doing this fairly like, you know, complicated and smart behavior. Um, so it goes back to what you were saying, Toby, about um, the being patient, right? Like, and it has to be the circle instead of the triangle as opposed to like, ah, shit, that kind of looks like an oval or is that a circle? I don't know. This is hard. It's a triangle with round edges. What's that mean? Too much. <laughs> that means you wait until you get the very firm yeah. triangle. So going back to waiting until you get the very firm triangle, because I was I was talking to the firm triangle is the best triangle. Um, I was talking <laughs> Not to uh, investment advice. No, that's true. Um, I would say that uh, that. Oh, boy. Now I don't know what I just said. Now I feel embarrassed. Um, Sorry, anyway, dude, I derailed you. <laughs> I should just take a Davy Day trader. Yeah, I like firm triangles. So what? <laughs> You see a firm triangle, you, you know, um, anyway, uh, what was I saying? Jesus, I've derailed this conversation. Uh, oh, waiting. So with the holding, right. Um, maybe the answer, I think the answer that I'm getting to is if I say something like, I don't understand how somebody's buying X here, but it's something that I own rather than saying, well, that means that I have to sell it. It just means that if I have a better idea, that's probably the first thing that's going out of the portfolio before, you know, and like, do I have a mark to market risk in that? Yes, I do. Am I comfortable with the underlying asset because the asset quality? Yes. So I think it's better than my opportunity cost. Like, I think that's closer to form me the way that I have to think about it. If I ran a hedge fund, I'd probably need to like optimize every single decision, but I would lose that game. I know it. That's why I try not to play it. I got to give a shout out to somebody's mom. Happy birthday to uh, Mr. Finn's mom. <laughs> All right. Happy birthday to Mr. Finn's mom. Mm. Wait, what? Did I just say <laughs> something else? It, it, no, it was in the comments. Yeah, somebody's mom. Jeez, Jake. Okay. Anymore, we, we cut you off last week, JT, so I just want to make sure that you, you don't have any... Uh, do you have anything else to add? I have nothing to add. Nothing further to add. Three questions in Amigas. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll take a run at them. I don't know how to put them on the screen, but I can read them off. I saw a comment before um, about how do you handicap the risk of uh, the head of Alibaba being sent to some sort of re-education camp? Yeah, that's a, I, don't, I don't know. That's a little scary. That's why I live in the States. I, you know, then but I this, born, is, yeah. this is the... Okay, this is the same, like, to get back to that nuance part of what we we're talking about, like, 
the U.S. wasn't perfect from 1820 to 2000 or whatever you want to kind of cut it off. Like we pillared our our guys like that, like Rockefeller and Carnegie. Um, I mean, it was <laughs> it, I, I think we should be a little bit careful in judging from today's view when they're going through some things that we had, we took us a long time to figure out and to get straightened out and to arrive at uh, a reasonable place where humans could interact. And, you know, if, if they're working towards it, like I kind of want to give them a benefit of the doubt there. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that for sure. That's, that's a good point. I, I have nothing to add. I don't know. Like I'm not the one that did it. Charlie did it, but I, I think Charlie is handicapped that somehow. I still want to understand the process. I still want to get there myself. Yeah, I yeah. think you got to talk to experts, man. I think you really like. I think Charlie has been thinking about China. How long has he been invested with Li Lu? Uh, I don't know, like a long time, ten plus years. So I mean, that's how long this guy's been thinking about this idea. Like, this isn't something that just popped into his, I, you know, idea funnel two weeks ago, and he was like, "Oh, I'll, I'll underwrite the whole thing." You know, like, <laughs> it's in the screen, but yeah, yeah. This, I mean, <laughs> well, he's not running that kind of a strategy, right? But like, the, he has been thinking, I think, fairly nonstop. If you listen to the last five years of Daily Journal um, conversations, all he does is talk about China. So I don't. I mean, I yes, would I love to have dinner and be able to ask the question? Yeah, that'd be sick. But like, I. I think the answer is he's done a lot of work to try to handicap that stuff. JT made a good point to me once that, that sticks with me a little bit when he talked about uh, he, he wants to invest behind a management team who's so good that he doesn't have to read every note to the financial statements. And I was like, that's kind of a, that, that's a simple but profound insight into you know assessing a management team. So you know, every, management teams are all self-promotional. They're all super charismatic. You don't get to be CEO if you don't have a world-class handshake and look guys in the eye when you, you know, all of those sort of things are important to becoming a CEO. So when you go and meet these people, uh, they're, they're really nice, charismatic, friendly, fun guys, for women for the most part. Um, but do you trust them? That's a different kind of matter to how, uh, you know, how friendly or engaging they seem when you're discussing something with them. I think my point was that if to th if they want to hide something, they can. They can, yeah, for sure. And it's not going to show up in the footnotes necessarily. Uh, and it's just it, it that's like just reading the footnotes doesn't necessarily protect you from the the problems that may arise. That's that was kind of I think what I was trying to say. I thought it was a great I thought it was a great line because. You know, for many of these investments, you're looking at the management team, you're like, are these guys uh, a plus or a minus here? But if you if you clarify it like that, I'm looking for things that are like bright line clarifications where it's just, it either is or it isn't. And it's an easy kind of assessment to make. People can fool you. I'm not saying that you, it's foolproof. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that if that's it, if that's your mindset, then you're looking for a slightly different set of behaviors in the notes. And I, so I, in relation to Alibaba, I mean, I don't know. I just don't know well enough, but that's, that's what I would be looking at when I started looking at it, even though, you know, the, the financial statements are horrific. Yeah. Uh, nothing to add. I've heard the, I forget who told me this line, but it was something like, uh, you know, a 300 page proxy and 600 pages of footnotes doesn't tell you anything, but it tells you everything that you need to yeah. know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's another good point.
Uh, do you guys have any thoughts on the airlines? I got to tell you, I'm I'm short a few of them, so that's 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 my thoughts on them. I don't know. I haven't followed them in long enough. I saw I saw somebody said that they're uber oh. bullish airlines. One of like J P Morgan's uber bullish airlines. That just tells me they got some airlines that they're trying to shift. They got some inventory they need to get rid of. <laughs> I don't Uber. know, man. I, I, I mean, I guess. Oh, we lost Bill. Out. Did you lose me? No, it's all right. You're Just back. for you a second. The Bill yeah. tricks right. for a moment. Oh, yeah. I, I got something that said my internet is unstable. Come on, Comcast. Jeez. Um, I, shirt, I would shirts unstable. That's true. <laughs> I would start out if I was going to start to think about the airlines. I, I would say to myself, what do I think the most stable uh, travel? Uh, bet is my personal opinion is that I have a high degree of confidence that leisure travel will come back. I have a lower degree of confidence that business travel will come back. Given that I would start to look at anything that had a point to point route system. Typically uh, if you look at like Allegiant uh, spirit frontier uh, Valeris Wiz, Ryanair, those are all like non hub based price driven. I mean, Southwest is sort of a hybrid now, but like they're point to point and they can move a lot of the network around to fulfill demand as the seat demand comes into the system. Delta United American, the hub requires efficiency. And the reason that I have been uncomfortable getting back involved in that thesis is I am not convinced that business travel has not taken a, a pretty sustained structural impairment here because I was talking to my buddy from consulting and like, you know, he said, when we used to go into engagements, we would fly a team in and out every single week, Monday and Friday, Monday and Friday, Monday and Friday. Monday and okay. Thursday. You yeah. What home for Thursday. <laughs> yeah. So, and his comment was like, are we going to have to still do that? Yes. Are we going to have to do it four times? Probably not. Might it only be one team to have one week to have the whole team there? Yeah. Like that's a lot of seats and I don't know how to handicap whether or not it comes back. And what I, you know, did I arguably miss getting back in at the bottom? Yeah. But you know, I own some pretty good shit and I knew that I'd make it through and I didn't know that selling that to go into airlines was a great bet here. I think you got to have a pretty accurate view of the future and I'm just not confident enough to have that. I think Especially a lot of stuff's going to get back to basis, normal. Right? That's what I'm saying. Yeah, that's the, that's the risk. I mean, I don't think now, you're getting the handicap to take the bet. I think the handicap. I think the the offer the offered odds are all wrong here for that kind of bet. But I, I just for my own two cents, I think it, everybody overestimates how much everything's going to change. I think everything's going to go back to normal. People fly for work because you can make money. There's literally no other reason to do it. Flying sucks. If you got enough of an incentive on the other end of that flight, you're going to get on the flight and go there. I don't mind flying. I actually I quite like flying. Um, I, I guess that the, the only comment on the EV is, and I haven't done the work in a long time. So I would, I, if I was doing it, I would consider there's some dilution that came with the government terms, right? So you got some equity dilution, I think that's on the come and some of that debt is probably going to be forgivable. So I think you got to be careful about trusting a screen on the EV if you're doing discretionary stuff. That's fair. That's good. Good nuance. Free money, huh? I do like Scott Kirby, man. That guy managed his ass off from United. He he was incredibly ahead of the curve. Uh, and I I sort of didn't know if I believed the narrative around him. And that guy is legit. 
Doesn't mean I want to own his equity though. So what else is happening in this wild market? This is, it feels to me like it's pretty smooth sailing on the top, but there's still a whole lot of carnage underneath. Although I think that the, I look at ARK, uh, A-R-K-K, uh, every now and again, just to sort of take the pulse of the, the tech. It looked like it was up today. It looked like, looked like it's doing okay. Tesla's come back to life. Yeah, I don't know. It seems like there's underneath there is more carnage than you would tell by just if you're just only watching the index. Yeah, I think that's probably right. What that means, I don't know. Is that like breadth, they call that? I mean, the index has been remarkably strong through every single iteration of this market. It's it's kind of, uh, it's mind-boggling, really. Is it just because it's it's all, it's like the basically fang these days, famg or whatever. Yeah. And they're strong, they're doing well, they're posting big numbers every every quarter. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, as tech becomes a bigger and bigger percentage, I, I mean, I know it had that big sell off, but, um, I, you know, it's, it's up quite a bit. Right. So FAMG treaded water for a little bit, but I don't think that FAMG really participated in the sell off. It definitely caught the, the recovery though. There's some big moves yesterday. I was All like, the upside, yeah, none of the downside. Yeah. Yeah. People seem to like Facebook again. Um, yeah, I don't know. I really haven't watched much. It's been very liberating, except for the fact that I'm dealing with all this personal stuff. It was that pretty good. Uh, <laughs> it hasn't been liberating at all. <laughs> yeah. That white paper from Double Line that was talking about, uh, it was kind of debunking a lot of the like value criticisms. I don't know if you saw that one, but they were they did one little study part in there where they took, uh, there's this narrative that it was like tech and communications that were overly expensive, which were pushing kind of everything else up and like making it look weird. And so they took those out and then ran the same, uh, like I think they did different like price to book, price to sales. And then, so they took those out and then looked at it and it was still like the value growth spread was still really big more than I think people would probably have guessed. So it's not like just, it's not just probably one little segment or one big segment of the market that is sort of like, pushing the averages in weird ways. I'll tell you something funny. I sort of, I wish I'd been able to grab it before I came on, but uh, Elon Musk left a comment under a Kathy Wood tweet. I saw that. Said, I saw that. Have you seen that the, that like S&P 500 market capitalization is at some extreme uh, share of GDP? What, what do you make of that? Like, That's what, what he said what to is her. Going, yeah. Yes. What yeah. is going on? And somebody, somebody wrote me, they were like, you think he's trolling her? He's, his account got hacked. Yeah. I think that to be fair, like I think Elon is just what what is in his mind is is on Twitter. Yeah, I, I don't think he's got any filter in that respect. I mean, I, it's that's funding not a bad is thing. secured. Funding secured. Yeah, might take it private. Funding secured. Yeah, yeah, might take uh, yeah. it private. I don't know. Feeling cute. Feeling <laughs> cute. <laughs> might delete later. You guys want to hear a crazy story before we shut it down? Yeah, for sure. I played tennis last night, old man tennis. I lost. It's so depressing, but whatever. Uh, the dude that I played, I played with him and against him. And yes, I did lose to him. This dude died. He actually flatlined his heart. Now, I think he said during three weeks, the game. No, 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 no. Three I weeks ago. He, I think he said three weeks ago. Let's call it three months. I don't really care. I do think it was three weeks. He said he was dead for five minutes. They were pumping on his chest and they brought him back with a defibrillator. And what, what did he report? Crazy. What? What did he have? Yeah, what's, what did on he the other side? what's on the other side? He said, well, this is what's interesting. He said it was very calm. 
he said that he was getting wheeled into the hospital and he looked up, he remembered everybody. He had like the widow maker, whatever it is in, in your heart, like the heart attack. And now he's got two stints. Um, and now he's he, playing tennis. Yeah, man. I had kicking to, your ass. <laughs> yeah. Well, he had a good serve. Shut up. Uh, <laughs> and he's, old, he's an older gentleman too. Um, but yeah, no, he said that he remembered he was with his personal trainer and he had it happen. The personal trainer got him to the hospital in four minutes and he said that he remembered people oh. touching him and like he went into the wheelchair and then he just he said, I remember looking up and said, I'm le-, he said, I'm leaving now. And then he he was told that he just like said that and then fell out of the chair and then he was like flatlined and they started pumping on his chest and then they brought him back. How old? Uh, maybe like 60. He also spent uh-huh. like five five weeks in the ICU earlier in the year because of COVID. So this dude wow. has not had a great past 12 months and yet he's smoking me on the tennis court. So if you want to know how good I am, I am at tennis, that's that. Put some shit in perspective, man. I came home and hugged yeah. my kids. I also lose some weight. You guys are all skinny. You're going to be inspiring my fat ass. I'm not trying to get taken <laughs> out by the next pandemic. Uh and uh, that's that's time, amigos. I actually don't know how to shut this one down, so I'm just I'm gonna mash a few buttons here. All right. Well, while, while my mom we... might be listening, I love you, mom. I hope I didn't put you on blast. <laughs> Shout out, everybody. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to end it. unstable come on comcast geez um i i would shirts unstable (laughs) that's true i would start out if i was going to start to think about the airlines i i would say to myself what do i think the most stable uh travel uh bet is my personal opinion is that i have a high degree of confidence that leisure travel will come back i have a lower degree of confidence that business travel will come back Given that, I would start to look at anything that had a point-to-point route system. Typically, uh, if you look at like Allegiant, uh, Spirit, Frontier, uh, Valeris, Wiz, Ryanair, those are all like non-hub-based, price-driven. I mean, Southwest is sort of a hybrid now, but like they're point-to-point and they can move a lot of the network around to fulfill demand as the seat demand comes into the system. Delta, United, American, the hub requires efficiency. And the reason that I have been uncomfortable getting back involved in that thesis is I am not convinced that business travel has not taken a a pretty sustained structural impairment here. Because I was talking to my buddy from consulting and like, you know, he said when we used to go into engagements, we would fly a team in and out every single week, Monday and Friday, Monday and Friday, Monday and Friday. Monday and okay. Thursday. You yeah, what happened for Thursday? <laughs> yeah. So, and his comment was like, are we going to have to still do that? Yes. Are we going to have to do it four times? Probably not. Might it only be one team to have one week to have the whole team there? Yeah. Like, that's a lot of seats. And I don't know how to handicap whether or not it comes back. And what I, you know, did I arguably miss getting back in at the bottom? Yeah. 
but you know, I own some pretty good shit and I knew that I'd make it through. And I didn't know that selling that to go into airlines was a great bet here. I think you got to have a pretty accurate view of the future. And I'm just not confident enough to have that. I think Especially a lot of stuff's going to get back to basis, right? That's what I'm saying. Yeah, that's the, that's the risk. I mean, I don't now, think you're getting the handicap to take the bet. I think the handicap, I think the, the, offer, the offered odds are all wrong here for that kind of bet. But I, I just for my own two cents, I think it, everybody overestimates how much everything's going to change. I think everything's going to go back to normal. People fly for work because you can make money. There's literally no other reason to do it. Flying sucks. If you got enough of an incentive on the other end of that flight, you're going to get on the flight and go there. I don't mind flying. I actually, I quite like flying. Um, I, I guess that the, the only comment on the EV is, and I haven't done the work in a long time. So I would, I, if I was doing it, I would consider there's some dilution that came with the government terms, right? So you got some equity dilution, I think that's on the come and some of that debt is probably going to be forgivable. So I think you got to be careful about trusting a screen on the EV if you're doing discretionary stuff. That's fair. That's good. Good nuance. Free money, huh? I do like Scott Kirby, man. That guy managed his ass off from United. He he was incredibly ahead of the curve. Uh, and I I sort of didn't know if I believed the narrative around him. And that guy is legit. Doesn't mean I want to own his equity, though. So what else is happening in this wild market? This is, It feels to me like it's pretty smooth sailing on the top, but there's still a whole lot of carnage underneath. Although I think that the – I look at ARC uh, – a-R-K-K uh, every now and again, just to sort of take the pulse of the, the tech. It looked like it was up today. It looked like, looked like it's doing okay. Tesla's come back to life. Yeah, I don't know. It seems like there's underneath there is more carnage than you would tell by just if you're just only watching the index. Yeah, I think that's probably right. What that means, I don't know. Is that like breadth they call that? I mean, the index has been remarkably strong through every single iteration of this market. It's it's kind of uh, it's mind-boggling, really. Is it just because it's it's all it's like the basically Fang these days, FAMG or whatever? Yeah, and they're strong. They're doing well. They're posting big numbers every every quarter. Yeah, and I think uh, you know as tech becomes a bigger and bigger percentage. I, I mean, I know it had that big sell-off, but um, I you know it's it's up quite a bit, right? So. FAMG treaded water for a little bit, but I don't think that FAMG really participated in the sell-off. It definitely caught the, the recovery, though. There's some big moves yesterday. I was All like, the Google's upside, 8%. none of the downside. Yeah. Yeah, people seem to like Facebook again. Um, yeah, I don't know. I really haven't watched much. It's been very liberating, except for the fact that I'm dealing with all this personal stuff. It was that pretty good. Uh, <laughs> it hasn't been liberating at all. <laughs> yeah. That white paper from DoubleLine that was talking about, uh, it was kind of debunking a lot of the like value criticisms. I don't know if you saw that one, but they were, they did one little study part in there where they took, uh, there's this narrative that it was like tech and communications that were overly expensive, which were pushing kind of everything else up and like making it look weird. And so they took those out and then ran the same, uh, like, I think they did different like price to book, price to sales. And then, so they took those out and then looked at it and it was still like the value growth spread was still really big more than I think people would probably have guessed. So it's not like just, it's not just probably one little segment or one big segment of the market that is sort of like pushing the averages in weird ways. I'll tell you something funny. I sort of, I wish I'd been able to grab it before I came on, but, uh, 
Elon Musk left a comment under a Kathy Wood tweet. I saw that. Said, I saw that. Have you seen that the, the like S&P 500 market capitalization is at some extreme uh, share of GDP? What, what do you make of that? That's Yes. What is going on? And somebody, somebody wrote me, they were like, you think he's trolling her? He's, his account got hacked. Yeah. I think that to be fair, like, I think Elon is just, what, what is in his mind is, is on Twitter. Yeah. I, I don't think he's got any filter in that respect. I mean, I, it's, that's funding not is thing. secured. It's funding secured. Yeah. Might take it private. Funding secured. Yeah. yeah might I, take uh, it private. I don't know. <laughs> Feeling cute. <laughs> <laughs> might delete later. You guys want to hear a crazy story before we shut it down? Yeah, for sure. I played tennis last night, old man tennis. I lost. It's so depressing, but whatever. Uh, the dude that I played, I played with him and against him. And yes, I did lose to him. This dude died. He actually flatlined his heart. Now, I think he said during three weeks, the game. No, 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 no. Three I weeks think ago. He, I think he said three weeks ago. Let's call it three months. I don't really care. I do think it was three weeks. He said he was dead. For five minutes, they were pumping on his chest, and they brought him back with a defibrillator. And what, what did he report? Crazy. What? What did he have? Yeah, to, what's, what did on he the other side? what's on the other side? <laughs> so, well, this is what's interesting. He said it was very calm. He said that he was getting wheeled into the hospital, and he looked up. He remembered everybody. He had like the widowmaker, whatever it is, in in your heart, like the heart attack. And now he's got two stints. Um, and now he's he, playing tennis. Yeah, man. I he had kicking to, your ass. <laughs> yeah, well, he had a good serve. Shut up. Uh, and he's, old, he's an older gentleman too. Um, but yeah, no, he said that he remembered he was with his personal trainer and he had it happen. The personal trainer got him to the hospital in four minutes. And he said that he remembered people oh. touching him and like, he went into the wheelchair and then he just, he said, I remember looking up and said, I'm, le-, he said, I'm leaving now. And then he, he was told that he just like said that and then fell out of the chair. And then he was like flatlined. And they started pumping on his chest and then they brought him back. How old? Uh, maybe like 60. He also spent right. like five, five weeks in the ICU earlier in the year because of COVID. So this dude wow. has not had a great past 12 months and yet he's smoking me on the tennis court. So if you want to know how good I am, I am at tennis. That's that. Put some shit in perspective, man. I came home and hugged yeah. my kids. For I also sure. lose some weight. You guys are all skinny. You're going to be inspiring my fat ass. I'm not trying to get taken <laughs> out by the next pandemic. Uh, and uh, that's that's time, amigos. I actually don't know how to shut this one down, so I'm just I'm going to mash a few buttons here. All right. Well, while, while my mom we... might be listening, I love you, mom. I hope I didn't put you on blast. <laughs> Shout out, everybody. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to end it. Cause, cause, cause.